I'd like you to turn to James chapter 2. We were there last week, and we're going to be there again tonight. James chapter 2. The question is, is your faith dead or alive? Would you believe that tonight that's not even an issue with a lot of people? I'm not talking about bad people. I'm talking about nice, good people. Faith is a non-issue, and yet the Bible makes so much of it. I don't know how they miss it. I don't know. So much is said about faith, and yet it's a really a non-issue. Chapter 2, James, verse 14, 17, 20, and 26, those four verses. What doth it profit, verse 14, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. And verse 20, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And the last verse, verse 26, for as the body without the breath or spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So there is such a thing, the Bible does speak of such a thing as dead faith, or faith that is essentially biblically dead faith. Then there is, without the words being used in the Bible, there is such a thing as living faith, faith that is alive, and it does something. We need to know the difference because we need to measure ourselves to see if there's something we need to be concerned about and work on, or something that we should be encouraged by. Now, remember the faith formula from a couple of weeks ago? All right, then you'll know how this thing works. We gave you a faith formula because I want to talk about works again for just a moment. And we start out with W plus S equals R. Now, what does a W mean? Word. That's good. And S, spirit, equals Revelation, boy, that, praise the Lord. Now, you see, you carry this around. I'm not just pulpit talking now. I'm telling you the truth that you can measure a lot of things that you need faith for and start right here. Do I have a word for it? Has the Spirit of God revealed this to me so that within my heart, it's a sure thing? This is what God said. See, this doesn't mean you have faith. But you take the revelation that God gives you and you add to it another W, and what's the W this time? Your will. And when you do put those two together, it is faith. Now the W is what we're after again, the will. W means you're willing to take what God has said and shown you, not what the preacher said, it might begin there, not what some well-meaning person said or what some author of some book said or some commentary said, but what God shows you so that if nobody else ever saw this or nobody else ever believed this, I will because I see this. This is open up to me in the Word. When you take a revelation like that, and remember it's God only who gives it. Ephesians 1, Paul's prayer for the church, for people like us, is that God would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. It has to come that way. That the eyes of your understanding, the word means heart, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened or illumined that you may know. 
I'm not here to talk about the essence of knowledge, but that's the way you know whatever you know if you know what is right. It's God showed it to you, and you see it. It's a revelation that God gives. The reason there's so many wicked, ugly, bad people in the world today is because they do not have a revelation of Jesus Christ. And they cannot but do what a natural, ordinary, unspiritual person does. You lie, you cheat, you steal, you do whatever you have to do. You don't have a revelation of Christ. That's why you read in the papers of all these ugly, wicked things that happen. People have never seen Jesus. And the only reason you're not like that is because the Lord has revealed himself to you and you're wrestling and dealing with things. But when it comes to faith, you take the revelation that God has shown you and you add to it the one thing that God gives each of us that makes us responsible on the day of judgment is a will. I have a will, you have a will. Nobody can do my things for me, nobody can get saved for me, I must be willing to be saved. I am here tonight, what I am tonight, I am because the choices I've made in my life. I've said that a thousand times, I'll say it maybe 2,000 more. But we are all what we are because of the choices that we have made. We might have made some bad ones, we've probably made some good ones. God's forgiven us of our bad choices. That's a good part. But I live by my will. I live by choices. The one thing that God has made me responsible with is my will. And when God shows me something, he gives me a genuine, authentic revelation from God that does not mean I'm willing to do it. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men everywhere. But very few people will ever respond with their hearts and lives to Jesus. The revelation that God gives you becomes what God wants when you are willing to do what he said. Whatever it was he said, you've got to be willing to do it. You don't wait for somebody else to do it or do it because other people do it. You do it because that's what God shows you to do. This is what the Bible calls works or deeds. They are things that you do. They are choices that you make. They follow you through your life. Your works will follow you. Your deeds will follow you. This is the reputation you have. This is how you're known. People know you by what you do. And when God shows you things, let's call it light. When God shows you things, he said, let your light so shine before the world that others may see your good works and glorify God. That somebody just like you did things they know they should do. Even the heathens will often say, I'll tell you one thing, that guy right there is a Christian, he really loves the Lord. That's a good thing to say. It's because of choices that we have made to do what God said. This is what the Bible calls works. Now, for us to say we're Christian, but not do the things that Christians do, the things that God says, this is what a Christian does. If you're a follower of Christ, this is what you do. This is the way you live. This is the way you talk. This is the way you conduct your life. That's why we're here tonight, to learn that. That's why we're told to read and study and seek and so forth, so we can learn that one thing, the will of God. Why is your mind renewed? Be not fashioned according to this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. 
the one supreme thing that you've got to know. It comes by revelation. The one thing you've got to know in order to have faith and please God is what he said and a willingness from your heart to do what he said. Now, anything else is unacceptable. You may be a nice person. We may have built a huge edifice here. It doesn't matter what efforts we put in Christianity in trying to show the world that we're Christian. The thing God wants is faith. And what is faith? Faith is a response to his revelation whereby you count on God to do what he said. How many of you know that the revelation of God doesn't make it true? We don't make things true. That's mental gymnastics. Things are true because God said they're true. Our privilege is to get to live in that realm. If God said it, it's so. Now, come to works and deeds. Didn't he say in verse 20, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Vain means useless. It's empty. I'm sure I could be offensive when I say this, that a whole lot of what people are so proud of is vanity. It's useless. It's something. It's efforts. It's advertisements. It's church growth. It's just a lot of things to see how big we can get it without really the people that fill it following Jesus Christ. They follow a system. They follow a mandate from the denomination or the church. But it's all about Jesus, and anything else is unacceptable. Because if it's dead, it's vain. If it's vain, it's dead. Useless, empty, or vain. Bible faith is evidenced by deeds, actions, and words. Why is it that people then have dead faith? When a revelation is available, God has opportunities made for us, why then, if faith without deeds and works are dead, why is it people's faith are dead? Why is that? One of the reasons that I believe, let me just share with you two or, two or three of them here. One of the reasons that I believe faith is essentially dead and without biblical works is because of what I call easy believism. You join church, you assemble yourself in some meeting somewhere. You know, people like to shop around for church like they would for clothes, and so you find one you like and that fits you, and so that's where you go. And a lot of people like a church that's convenient, maybe close, maybe it's not long and drug out, or maybe it's progressive and got a lot of activity in it. People like something like that. But a lot of people like the idea that the message of the church that they're a part of doesn't require me to do anything. I never feel guilty or condemned if I'm not doing something. I like the idea that the only thing that God requires is to say with my mouth, I believe in God. Easy believism will often tell people, well, if you will just say with your mouth, I believe in God, you go to heaven. And it doesn't really matter what you do. There's nothing you can do to jeopardize your salvation. But having said that, let me say this. I believe very, very strongly, being somewhat of a Calvinist myself, 
I believe very strongly in eternal security. I really do. There's a word in the Bible called elect. You ever heard the word elect? Those chosen from the foundation of the world to be God's people. Ephesians 1, from the foundation of the world. Before there was a world, there was a choice made. And I believe in that. And I do believe that whoever has been given to the Lord, Jesus said in John chapter 10, no man shall pluck these who are his out of his hand. God mentions in the Old Testament that it, when the day comes, he makes up his jewels, his wonderful church. So there are those who are his, and I don't believe anybody's ever going to take his out of his hand. But just because you raise your hand doesn't mean you're his. In fact, you don't even get to see the book of life. How do you know your name is in it? If you think your name is in the Lamb's book of life because somebody told you, how do you know he knows what he's talking about? I tell people all the time, I've told you at least a dozen times, don't believe what I tell you. Search the scriptures yourself. Find out for yourself. Let me motivate you. Then you search it yourself. Is your name in the book of life tonight? Didn't we read Sunday in Luke 10, 20 that we are to rejoice because our names are in the Lamb's book of life? Is yours in there? How do you know? Now, I mean, I'm going to show you something about faith here. What is the evidence in your life that states your name is in the Lamb's book of life or that you're saved? What's the difference between you and an unsaved person? What's the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person? One doesn't cuss and one does cuss. Do saved people ever, in a weak, bad, ugly moment, a bad word? Eh, poquito. What's the difference? Is it necessary for me as a Christian to evidence it with my light? Does it matter if my light shines? Why would I go through effort? Let's call that works. Why would I apply the word to my life and do what he said? Why would I do that? I want to show God that I was serious when I said I got saved. June 30th, 1968. How long do I have to do this? How long do I have to walk this way? To the end. Is that what it said? Somebody said, well, now then you're talking about salvation by works. I'm talking about salvation by faith. Faith initially comes as a gift from the Lord. It's designed to grow because it's a fruit. It can grow if you feed it and you exercise it. It can grow, but it initially comes. A measure of faith comes to everybody that God saves. He gives you that. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't work for it. You can't buy it. Granny can't get it. Mama can't get it. Your daddy can't get it. It's only God who can give it. Only God broke your heart to know your sins. And he's the one who gave you the gift of repentance. He's the one who arranged the time. He's the one who orchestrated everything that brought you the new birth. And now that you're born again and you have faith in God, it is necessary for your faith to be a living faith. You speak it, you act it, you live it. Not because you're trying to get saved. It is just something that Christ in you compels you to do. It's just a natural course of action. Was there not a time in our life that we were by nature children of disobedience? Does the Bible speak that we were once the children of disobedience? That we did not obey God. We largely set aside whatever he said. 
it just wouldn't matter. But now, because I'm saved, there's something living on the inside of me. Is the word alive? Is there such a thing as a living word? Living? Alive? If it's alive, what's it alive to? It's alive unto God. What's it doing? God is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Why is he doing something in you that would cause you to do something? Because this is the way God is glorified in his people. Not because we're complacent, arm-folded, casual, or occasionally attending church. But it's because we have a living reason on the inside of us to live this way, to put our hands on this plow with a smile on our face and be glad we can do this because if he hadn't given us this opportunity, we couldn't do it. I'm not doing this to get saved. I am saved. I'm doing this because it's what the urge in me wants to do. And that urge in me is the Spirit of God. He comes to magnify the Father. He comes to open your eyes to see the truth. And it's the truth that makes you glad. And when you get glad, there's a joy and a rejoicing in your heart that wants to just walk the way that God wants you to walk. Why? I, didn't, I wasn't like this before. Why? Because of God. Something that God does. I'm not looking for an easy way out. I don't want to argue with somebody that I don't have to do anything to be saved. You can't do anything to be saved, but if you are saved, you will do something. You're not saved by works, but you're not saved apart from them either because your works will follow you and they amplify what you are. Make your calling and election Sure, because he that started a good work in you, he will complete it. Do you really believe that God in you wants to walk in you and talk in you and function in you and all of that? You think he's glorified by us responding to him? 2 Corinthians 1.20 All the promises of God that being the Old Testament promises. We didn't have the New Testament written yet. All the promises of God are in him, that's Christ, yes and amen to the glory of God by us. The promises are to us when we receive those promises and we begin to live and do what he said and he honors that word, he is glorified. You read in the New Testament, read the book of Acts where the people were amazed and they rejoiced that such a word was spoken. And they saw the great and marvelous things that Jesus did and they rejoiced. God uses people. God uses Shelbyvilleites. A lot of people not only fold their arms because they're never given any reason to live any special way before God. You just join church, raise your hand, and sit in your pew. I've ran into these people my whole life. They're irritated when you talk about Jesus. They get ticked off when you start talking about the joy of the Lord. They really do. They don't want to talk about it, but they're good members of churches somewhere. They know little about the Lord. Nothing is ever taught. It doesn't matter. Just like Catholics, it doesn't matter. Just go to church, just find your pew, put your money in the box, and help us around here every now and then, and hey, you're going to heaven. Didn't the preacher say when the rapture comes that 
the church is going up, that means those who are indifferent and those who are not even trying, along with those who are committed. Now, how foolish is all of that? Well, let me tell you how, secondly, what I just said fits in. Second reason that people are dead in their faith is because of error. Now, turn to Proverbs 19 and verse 27. Here's a command for you. Error. Falsehood, deceit, and deception in religious circles will slay a ton of people. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth thee to err from the words of knowledge. Let me tell you who that won't work for. Let me tell you who cannot heed that. The person who does not have the words of knowledge. Is that right? How could you know if something was wrong if you didn't first of all know what was right? Somebody's got to teach us or you've got to find out what's right. The first sin in the Bible was, hath God said. It's like the devil said, you really believe that, Eve? Come on. You get away from the word and what it says into this mental game that the devil throws at people. Come on. And you start using that intimidating kind of talk and people back off. And so somebody talks them out of the word. They hear the words of truth and then they are led astray. They don't deny the Bible said it. They just tell you that it didn't mean what you thought it did. They don't deny that the Bible has thousands of promises. They just don't think they're all for today or that God will always do what he said, even though he said yes and amen to all of them. All of them. Yes. He didn't say no. He said yes. And yes, somebody said, well, we know that he could and he can and he has, but he might not. And we're caused to err from the faith. I'm talking about multitudes of Christians are being lulled to sleep by error. But they are so committed to a system, they're not committed to Jesus. It's not Jesus Christ they're committed to, it's to the Methabadby Presbycostal system. They really don't know what they're supposed to believe. They just believe that if I'm in this church, this church says I'm okay. My daddy believed that, he was a Catholic. Long as he remained Catholic, he would go to heaven. If he didn't make it to heaven, you'd burn a candle, he'd get out of purgatory and make it to heaven. He believed that apparently he did, or at least that was okay with him. There was no pursuit of Christ in his life. What a good title, but the pursuit of Christ. There was none of that. There was no testimony in his life of a living and abiding Savior. There was no solution at the end of his life. There was no solution to his problems. He had nothing of God to lean on and rely on to bring him strength when he died. He'd been in church his whole life. He was left empty. There was nothing there. He had no faith because he never was given a basis for faith. His faith was in his church. And that's what he counted on. And it might have cost him eternity. I hope he made it at the end. We all hope they make it at the end. Somehow, some way. I hope he did too. But let God be true. And every man a liar. But Proverbs 19 says, Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err 
from the words of knowledge. Remember this in Isaiah 8:20, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. If what you're receiving sounds good and they call it light, but it's really darkness, how great is the darkness because it leads you astray. Jesus said that one time. How dark is the darkness that leads men astray? Turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 23. Here's another warning. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy or the preachers that preach unto you. They make you vain. Now what was God basing this on? Listen to me. God made this statement in Jeremiah based on the way people lived. They were living what was acceptable in their circles as being okay and good enough. And God said, you are useless. The prophets, the teachers, the preachers, whoever they are, who minister to you, they make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. He said in chapter 22, verse 20-something, he said, If they had stood in my presence and heard my word, they would have caused you to turn from your sins because they would give you no rest. They would be on you like the old Kentucky slave. They'd be on you like a duck on a June bug. That'd be on you hard. There would be something that compels the spirit of jealousy that God has for his people. He doesn't want anybody to take his people. He didn't want you to drift off and go astray. And he would put fire in somebody's heart and they would come at you and compel you. And you'd either quit or you'd turn around. But God's going to speak to his people. He's going to warn us about things of this sort. Would you go to the New Testament into the book of Ephesians? I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 5. Another warning. And verse 6. Let no man deceive you with what kind of words? Vain, empty, useless, polished, meaningless words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of what? Didn't we read something about children's disobedience a while ago? How many times would God have to say something about what makes us rebels before we decided we don't want to be a rebel? In that one verse there, if we were having a little school class here tonight, what would be the cause of people being disobedient to God? What motivated them to not obey God? What would it be? Be in verse 6, let no man deceive you. Would a man ever deceive you? Now let me say this in, in case somebody has been deceived. I believe there is honest deception. I believe there's people, I've been there, who proclaimed something they thought was true and realized later in their life that that wasn't true and they made the adjustment and sorry they said it then, but that's not right, but this is right. That means you're teachable, okay? But there are people who mislead people because this keeps them from being persecuted. It's good for their wallets, and they can promote themselves by using people. The moment a church hires a preacher, the moment you give a man his hire, we want you to be our pastor, and you hire him, and you put limits and terms and conditions as a business would, because the church today is a business. It functions like a business. It's got to make money and make its payments. 
It's records they got to keep because the government is going to watch. But a lot of churches are incorporated and they have to do that. Churches run like a business. And the moment the business goes out and finds itself a CEO, he becomes a hireling. He is paid to function. He is paid to do what that congregation wants. They bring him in, have a trial sermon, let's try him. And he brings his sugar stick because it's a bigger church, better parsonage, better perks, and a better place to promote yourself to that really big church, hopefully down the line. So you use people. If a man was doing that, if that was true, would he be tempted to say things that you like to hear? That you would tell your friends about how good it is and how nice it is so they would come and hear him and join, maybe fill this church up? Is it possible that a man would promote himself in a particular church in order to gain the admiration and the advantage of the people so that he could get a better job somewhere else later and the church he just left would be his resume of how good he was? See, you don't have to mean what you're saying. You always say nice things. You leave certain subjects. You don't talk about divorce and remarriage. You don't talk about turning the cheek. You don't talk about court. You don't talk about holidays and Santa Claus or tongues. You don't talk about any of that stuff because that's what makes people edgy. You know it's in the Bible. You know there's something in the Bible about it, but don't say it. Man, don't talk about that. Why? Well, because so-and-so is here and they're here and that one there's here. And you know how they get, you know, people get to talking, especially if they're older. Well, I found out they can be younger. And so the preacher, wise and cagey and clever, he says, that verse is coming up in this study, and I'm going to have to get around that. So he misleads. At your expense, he promotes himself because he's hired to do that. And you're happy with it because you think the preacher's word is right, and the people are misled. And they don't know the truth, but they don't care. They like the feeling they had in church. And so consequently, there are multitudes of people, Christian people. If you try to talk to them about Jesus, they won't talk. Some of them won't talk. They've already heard about you anyway, you know, in this church. They've already heard about you. There's something wrong with y'all. Y'all had your brainwashed? I hope so. Would the renewing of the mind be okay? Nobody ever accuses us of renewing people's minds. Just brainwashing. But the truth of it is, we're told that we're not to let anybody deceive us with vain words, for it's because of these vain words and the effect it has on people that the people become disobedient and therefore must be judged by the Lord. Look in Colossians 2. Just go over two books to write. Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 4. This is a common thing. Paul passionately as an apostle says it like this to these churches where he started. He said, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Now, beguile means to reason falsely, simply to mislead you. He might be a very clever, educated man. He might be a very clever, educated preacher. He might be an intimidating figure. You wouldn't dare disagree with this guy. I mean, this guy here is accomplished. So you dare not say anything or disagree. And in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you 
through philosophy. That's something outside the Bible, but it's worldly, and people talk about it, and they have opinions. Well, he said, let no man spoil you through philosophy and vain traditions or vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, I was born again in a denominational church, a Christian church. I have spoken in my lifetime, I think, in all of them. Not all of them. There's a couple of them I wouldn't go to. But I have been in Methodist, Catholic, Episcopalian, Church of Christ, Baptist, Pentecostal varieties, Independence, Christian Church. I've been in all these through the years. That's before they knew that I was different. I've been in all these places, spoke to all of these people, and I have realized after this verse here that says tradition of men, that each church had its unique slant on some aspect of Scripture. Whether it's water baptism, the rapture of the church, speaking in tongues, or something. Everybody had their own little unique slant. And they will never change that. There's no gifted speaker in the world that will ever cause these people to change the way the established traditions of a church. They'll never change. And if it's wrong, then the people will be open to a spirit of error. They'll never get free from it. You can't talk to them. That's why they clam up when you talk to them. That's why Christians who think you're off and crazier from some other church, they won't even discuss the new birth with you. But they won't do it. But he said you can be spoiled like that. You know what the word spoiled means? It means you can be robbed. You can be cheated out of truth. Cheated out of something that God would put in your heart, a word of truth that he watches over to perform. If somebody talks you out of that word and the word in you is not exactly what God said, God doesn't honor something that's not of him. I don't care how noble you may be with your gift of speaking and memorization or whatever it is. If you're off, you're off. God doesn't honor personality. He honors his word. He watches over his word, not nice people. I mean, it's kind of cut and dried. God watches over his word to perform it. Doesn't mean he doesn't love people, but you got to remember this, that when we talk about faith, because faith is an act of your will, and your will is always something you do, you're willing to do it, say it, live it, whatever it is, that faith is always evidenced by works. If you have saving faith, you will live saved. Didn't say you're perfect yet, but you're directed that way. Remember Paul said, I want to present every man perfect in Christ. Or in James 1, count it all joy and you encounter divers trials, knowing this testing of faith work with patience, and let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking in nothing. Having said that, you've got to remember that faith because it's always an act, it's an act of your will, it means this. Faith is not limited to just doing what the Bible says. Now let me explain all that. Because faith is an act of my will, whatever I choose to believe and whatever I hold on to to live by, the fact that I chose that, that's my faith. If it's not in God, it'll be dead. God gives me something to believe in. Take, for example, going to the doctor. A lot of people do. I'm glad they do. 
A lot of people die if we didn't have that. That's not the way God said to do it, but that's the way we do it. Let's say you felt bad. Let me show you what faith is. Let's say you feel bad. You got stuffed up, stopped up, something's swelling, something's bleeding, it's real serious or uncomfortable. So you go to the doctor's office, and you got some consternation about this because this might be real serious. I mean, you never know, they say. So you go to the doctor's office, and after the usual time you wait, I guess, I don't know, it's been, it's been so many years since we've been in one of them, I don't know. But your name comes up, and you go in, and you sit down, and he asks a few questions, or she does, whoever, he or she. They put the stethoscope in their ear, and they check you out and ask you a few questions and look at your back and all that. And when they get done, they say, well, we're going to take a blood sample here, and then we're going to take a urine sample. So they take these samples. We'll call you in a week and want you to come back. You're tore up for a week because your mind is playing this game. You know, this is probably the thing that's going to kill you, and you're going to die, and you're hurting. You're not getting any relief. So you come back a week later. You go in the doctor's office, and he says, you know, I've got good news for you. He's smiling. And immediately you find yourself going, Phew. he says, you know, you've got a simple inflammation of the gazumbo. Your pituitary gland in the middle of your brain is acting up a little bit, but we can fix that. And this pituitary gland, which controls your hormones, it's the little main frame up there. How's that? So we're going to give you a compound to, to deal with that, and everything will be all right. You'll be all right. Nothing to worry about. What if you walk out of the office, you heard only words. The man said something. That's all he did. He talked to you. And you walk out of the office, the same symptoms you went in with, the same pain you went in with, nothing's changed, has it? You walk out of the office, <laughs> they said, are you all right? Oh, yeah, I'm fine, man. I ain't nothing wrong with me. Well, I said, well, everything looks like it's wrong with you. Oh, no, no. He said, he said, if I'll swallow this twice a day, whatever it is, Cost 50 bucks. If I swallow these two or three of these a day, he said, in less than a week, back to normal. Now, my question is, how do you know you'll be back to normal? Well, you don't know. What are you relying on? Help me. Somebody help me. What are you relying on? You're relying on what he said that this will do. This man, a doctor, knows everything. And he looked in your ears and your nose and checked you out and thumped on your chest and gave an x-ray and blood samples. And he said, you're going to be all right. You don't feel better. You don't look better, but you heard something that supersedes all that stuff and you believe it. That's faith. Faith is accepting as true something not yet revealed to your body or your symptoms or your senses. And your will embraces this and it says, I'm going to be well because the doctor said so. Isn't that right? If he was educated enough, came in a big enough clinic, cost enough, then he's got to be right. And everybody's happy. You don't even think they could have made a mistake and did the wrong blood test the wrong person or cut the wrong leg off as they sometimes did. All you know is that the man said something. And on the basis of what he said, you ain't swallowed the pill yet. You haven't even put the drops in yet. But the man said, Woohoo!
Honey, we're going out to eat tonight. Well, you don't look good. No matter how I look, I'm all right. The man said I'm going to be all right. That's faith. Now, that faith is not directed at God, but it's still an act of your will to take as true something not yet revealed to your senses. Faith in God or faith in the world are the same forces. There's no difference. It's just the direction you guide your will. When you take God at his word and you treat God with the same kind of dignity and respect that people treat a doctor, that's faith. God says, by the stripes of Jesus I was healed. I am the Lord that heals you. Scares the daylights out of people. That kind of preaching bothers me. Well, it doesn't bother you, it bothers the devil. But he said, I am Yahweh Rophikah. That was a covenant name. I'm the Lord that heals you. I will remove all sickness from the midst of you. Take away all sickness. He sent his word in Psalm 107, 20. He sent his word and healed them. That same word he mentioned in Proverbs 4. Remember he said, give attention to my word, incline your ears unto my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep my words in the midst of your heart for they are life to those that find them. Find them, yeah. And it's health to all their flesh. The word, of course the word. How did Jesus heal a lot of people? Did he speak to them? How many times did Jesus just speak? We don't know. Was he healed thousands? I wonder how many times he said, you're healed. You're healed. He didn't touch a Syrophoenician woman. He said, I have not found such faith in Israel. Go home, your daughter's well. Well, what a powerful word in the spiritual realm that when Jesus spoke, your daughter is well. The devil's, all of his power was broken. Everything he tried to do to destroy that woman's life and her daughter, every bit of that was broken and died and the devil had to go because Jesus said, go home, your daughter's well. That's pretty powerful stuff. The book you're holding in your lap is a recording of his word. And yet it has so little meaning to us. We're so afraid it won't work. If we went into the doctor's office and he examined you and he said, you're going to be all right. What if you said back to him, come on, man, I don't feel good. You'll be all right. Just take this. Uh -uh. You're telling me I'm well. Look at me. <laughs> Offices like this bother me. I don't know if you're a duck or not, you know, quack, but I'm out of here. I ain't going back there. Oh, I don't know about them people. Oh, he told me it's going to be all right. Look at me. We never think of doing that. You wouldn't pay that kind of money to talk like that. And yet you come in here and it's free. That by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Not might be, not could be, not ought to be. You were. And yet people would sit there and go just, now they don't go, they don't blow air out, but they just kind of go, because in their mind they're saying, well, if that's true, why is it that so many Christians are sick? But they would never say, if Jesus died to save sinners, why we still have so many sinners? Did he die to save sinners? Then why we still have sinners? Because they don't believe. They don't believe him. Would you all agree with me if I said this? There's far more people in the world today who do not believe in the Redeemer Jesus than who do. They don't believe. I don't care what they've heard. They don't believe. You know why? They can't. 
They can't believe it. They got a veil over their eyes. You can't believe when you want to, if you want to. It's God who brings you into this. They don't want it. You get it and walk out of a church if you push it too hard. They don't want it. But the fact of it is, everybody has faith of some sort. You can choose to accept what God said is true and rely on him to do it, or you can say with your will, I'm not sure about that. I don't think I will. Now, your choice was just as powerful as the choice to do. Same power in action. One takes you away from God, one draws you to God, but it's the same force. Same thing. What is faith then? Faith is trust. Faith is reliance on God. It is depending on God. Shouldn't we? Should we not rely on the Lord and depend on the Lord? I can't speak for all of you. I can speak for myself. I messed up a whole lot in my life before I got saved. I committed a lot of sins. I had learned to do the best I could and figured I could just outfox some people and just make it that way. When I got saved, I realized how ignorant I was. And I humbled myself. I lowered myself before the hand of the Almighty God and admitted, you're altogether right, and I am altogether double wrong. Now, just teach me how to walk in your ways. Teach me your ways, O Lord, so that I can walk in your steps. Incline my heart to what? Teach me thy way, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to, see, you can quote the Bible, to fear your name, Lord. Bring into my life this deep reverence and respect for who you are that I never want to do anything different than what you said. Put that in me. Because the psalmist said, you do that. Fear comes from God. So that every day of my life, I wake up thankful. So that I can sit at my bowl of cereal every morning and begin by saying, I want to thank you for saving me. I want to thank you for my salvation. I want to thank you, Lord. And then ask for guidance all day long. Because if you don't guide you, what are you going to do? Steps of a bad man are guided by the Lord? A good man. Look at Abraham. Would you turn to Romans 4 and verse 18? This is trust. This is what the Bible shows us, one example of trust. Who against hope, now hope is anticipation or expectation. It's like Abraham saying this, even though this seems impossible, yet with regard to what God said, I will believe it's possible, okay? Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. He was an old man. He wasn't a young man anymore. He was 100 years old. Neither did he consider as an impossible promise the deadness of Sarah's womb. She was 75. She had never had any children. He was 100, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. What does staggered not mean? 
The word staggered not is translated wavereth in James 1, 6. Remember, ask of God who gives to all men, but let him ask in faith without staggering, without wavering. In Mark eleven twenty three, the word staggereth here is translated doubt. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and taken up and thrown in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. The big obstacle is doubt in all of us. It's that fear of it won't work, fear of what will happen, what if it doesn't work and I die. I mean, a whole lot of things keep us from doing what he wants. But Abraham, the Bible said, he was 100 years old. When's the last time you saw a 100-year-old man testifying about his new baby? Well, see, we all laugh because we know that a man that age is not given to being a father. And just as much a woman 75 years old. I haven't seen a 75-year-old woman carrying a child. Have you? People call that a tragedy today. The poor soul. This child learns to ride a bike, she'll be 90. They won't even pick him up. They just have to kind of get some help and pick this kid up, put him back on the bike. Because you see, they have this picture that the only world that we know is this natural world, and two plus two equals four, and that's the way it has to be because that's the way it is. And yet God comes along and says two plus two can be whatever he wants it to be. It can be six million. Oh, no, and he can he defies what is ordinary. He can walk on the water. Did you know that? You ever tried? I bet you have tried it. I held my nose when I tried it. <laughs> of course. You think you could make a sun go backwards and the dial on a sun go backwards instead of forwards? That's impossible, is it? Is it possible that when somebody dies and the breath is gone out of their life, can they come back to life because God said that if you do certain things, they will? Some of them, not all. You can't, you can't just raise anybody. You know that. But with God, there's no limit. With God, all things are possible. He presents himself to us that way. I'm a limitless God. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Is anything too hard for God? What marriage can he not fix? Which one? What heathen can he not save? What woman can he not adjust? What man can he not adjust? Name one. What tree cannot be removed? What nation cannot be pulled down? What nation cannot be raised up? He raised up the Assyrians, the Iraqis, for one reason. To judge Israel. Can he do that? And then he punished the Assyrians in Isaiah 10 because they were too hard on him. Can he do that? And then he has all this written down in the Bible to show you who he is. So that you go, whoa. This is who we're dealing with. For one reason, so your faith and the fear of him will be in you. He staggered not. Anybody that could do what he did can make me to father a child and make my 90-year-old wife to be the mother of my child. He can do that. What did she say? Look at Hebrews 11, verse 11. He staggered not. This is what it says about her. Through faith, Sarah also herself receives strength 
to conceive seed. How did she receive strength? Does your Bible say faith? Is that something that's required of me? Listen, God didn't just do it. He showed her that he was going to do it. She took him at his word, and it says that by that faith, she received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because, because she judged him faithful who promised. Her faith was alive. Of course he can do that. Of course he can make the money come in. Of course he can provide the job. And of course he can protect you. And of course he can alter circumstances and situations to bring you into what you're believing for. Of course he can. I don't care what the latest economic forecast is in this country or the latest ugly prognostication of what's coming. It doesn't matter. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will take care of you. You'll never see his seed begging bread. He fed a prophet in a cave. There wasn't even a Kroger on the corner. How did he feed him? With a crow. A bird. Does God control birds? That bird found whatever he bird was supposed to find, put it in his beak, and flew over there and dropped it off that prophet. He had something to eat. It must not have been much. How do you know? It might have been in a sack. It might have been a Happy Meal. Who knows what it was? <laughs> he didn't bring some old shriveled up piece of moldy bread and say, here, eat that. God takes care of his people. Of course you'll walk through hours and times of testing. That's what your faith is for, to prove it. Because once it's approved, James said, it will bring you to completion. That is, the goal that God has for you is without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. This is the story of Christianity, of discipleship, a revelation, an opportunity, a test. Ah! Diligence, relief, discovery, praise. Here's how you feed your faith. This is worth a whole sermon right here, but I'm going to give it to you in just a little bit. Here's how you feed your faith. Here's how you develop your faith. Here's what a believer will do because of recognition of the importance of his faith. First thing you got to do is hear the word. Is that important? You should hear it. Can you? Now, faith says, I don't need to hear it. Faith in yourself. I've already heard that. I don't need to hear that. I've heard people say, well, we've heard all this talk about faith. These people are never getting over the hump. They assume they've got something. They don't have it. They don't even listen when you talk. You do, but I'm talking about others. God put us together in this room for a reason. This is not some isolated, idle moment in our lives. Church is not what decent, cultured, socially proper people do. It's where Christians go to learn about God. It is the purpose of ministry to teach. Not their opinions, not their philosophies, but the word 
of God. And once you hear the word, secondly, you need to read it. You learn a lot of things when you just sit down and make yourself read the Bible. You know, reading the Bible is like a jogger, like anybody that picks up a, a good habit exercise. Now, I don't, but for those that do. They say if you'll do it for like 25 days in a row, if you eat a bowl of cereal 25 days or six days a week for, three, for a month and a half, you'll look forward to eating a bowl of cereal. Now, it's overpriced. It's charged way too much for the stuff. But you look forward to it because you get a taste for it you enjoy that moment not only the food but just sitting there that's good people who run say I need to go run I need to run I need to run and I think there's something about when you do that a lot you really want to do it I used to walk a lot and carry a pack for it go hunting and I got to where at first few times this is crazy this is crazy I don't know why that is dumb I'm about to die you start getting in shape a little bit your legs kind of get a little firmer and you start and then you look forward to come home then there were times I'd get home earlier from studying on Wednesday, put that pack on, head up that hill before I came to church. I just, I don't know what it was. I don't know why I did such a thing as that. <laughs> but hear the word, read the word, and thirdly, thank the word. What does Psalm 1 say about this? He said, blessed is the man that sitteth not in the seat of scoffers and arguers and fault finders, but said his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God, and in his law he doth meditate. That means ponder, think, digress. Give yourself some time to try to put it together or let God put it together. Give him your mind for a while, a quality time sometime, and just think. I found myself the other day working. Time was getting late, and I thought, man, I got to go. That I was spent a whole lot of the day just thinking, just sitting back in the chair, I just wrote something down on a pad there. How far does this go? How would I refute this? I can't. Okay, then how do you make it to be all it is? Well, and just putting all that together. You'd be surprised what God gives you as a revelation if you'll stop what you're doing and give him a chance. Just let him in. Just let him in. You think the word. You meditate on the word, and that's what he wants. Then the fourth thing you do is you speak the word. Your faith is known as much by what you say as what you do. Well, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed, but I feel bad all over. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know you feel bad, but are you healed? Well, I don't feel healed. No, he didn't say, do you feel? He did not say, when you pray, feel like you're healed. He said, when you pray, believe you receive what you ask for. He didn't say you'd feel better. Doctor didn't say you'd feel better when you left his office but you act like you do. You talk like you do. You tell people you're going to be all right. Why? Because he said so. Well, God said more. God said more. So you not only speak, but obviously, as what we're talking about, you act. These are your deeds, what you choose with your will to do. I don't know how many times I've come to church, not because I felt like it, I don't know how many times in the last 27 years, a lot of times I didn't feel like coming. I've never not been here because I decided to stay home. We've had times we couldn't have church because of the weather. I can do all things through Christ, just like you can. Don't feel good sometimes. <coughs> it may not feel good. It may not sound good either. 
And they said, what's wrong with him? <coughs> well, he's going through a trial, I guess. But God will heal him. That's my testimony. That'll be yours too. Get out of bed. Put your shoes on. Go do what you got to do. I don't feel good. What do you believe? Where's your formula? What's the word say? Are you willing? Do you believe what it said? Do you believe that God is in control? Well, then act like it. Act like it. And six, what would you think number six would be? The thing that kind of puts all these things together, you pray. You pray according to the word. God is doing things in your life. You pray like that. Your prayer gets very specific. You don't yell at God. Oh, God, you know how bad I want this. Oh, Lord. And I'm not saying there aren't times in which something very serious has happened, something very serious is going on, and you're not pleading with God for somebody's life. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about your daily routines. Is that still in 1 John 5? Surely it is. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, then we know we have the petitions that we have desired of him. We pray according to God's will. That's why we're taught. And seven, you're going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice. Turn to Philippians 4 very quickly. Rejoicing is a sign of believing. Rejoicing is a sign of believing. This is what you do because you believe. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Always means always. Verse 6, don't worry about anything. That's what careful means. Don't worry and fret yourself about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And it talks about the peace of God shall and so forth. Does the word with thanksgiving, is that word in the Bible with thanksgiving, in that verse? The word with thanksgiving, he said, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, and with thanksgiving. Does that mean that thanksgiving should be a part of prayer? Okay, what are you thanking him for? We're talking about whether your faith is dead or alive. What are you thanking him for? You're praying about something. What are you thanking him for? I thank you for the privilege of praying. Well, that's good. Would you ever thank him for the answer? Would you ever thank him that he has heard you and that he will do it? We know he could, but do you believe he will? Y'all remember the story of Jehoshaphat? Jumping Jehoshaphat, Batman cartoons used to refer to him. Jumping Jehoshaphat. Where did he get the name Jumping Jehoshaphat? I know you never read Batman cartoons. That was a long time ago. But there was this little phrase in there about every now and then he said, Jumping Jehoshaphat. Where did he get that? Well, the story of Jehoshaphat is very, very simple. One day, three armies were coming against him in the south. His watchman said, here comes three nations combined. They're coming from the south on the cliff of Ziz. And they're coming up this way. They're going to come right through this valley, right up to south Israel. Down near where the Red Sea scrolls are. They're going to come right up that area, right up through here, just over the mountains into the valley. Three nations, huge. 
His daddy faced a million Ethiopians. We don't know how many is in three armies. It could have been that many more. And Jehoshaphat went to church. He went to church and quoted Solomon. Solomon said, if we ever encounter pestilence or problems or the sword, you said to come to this place and cry out unto you and you would deliver us. Now here we are. Here we are. Now notice, Lord, there's all these armies are coming. He, God could see them, but he wants you to put him in remembrance and declare. And when Jehoshaphat got through speaking, a young, I'd say young because he was vocal, a man prophesied. Jehaziel, he prophesied. You need not fight in this battle. You don't need a weapon. Just go out tomorrow and stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O King Jehoshaphat, and all you people. Now, if he had said that today, somebody said, who's that? <laughs> What's wrong with him? Somebody ought to wake him up. Get real, brother. Do you know what we're facing? This is no time for that practicing your prophecy. Jehoshaphat knew the man. Obviously, they all did. Next morning, they came out singing. They had their best clothes for singing and worshiping on. They had worship clothes. They came out like that. And they jumped, and they hollered, and they shouted. That's what the Hebrew words say. They hollered, and they shouted, and they just, whoa! The word jumping came from those Hebrew words. The word gul means to spin around like a top, greater emotion, <laughs> like they do at political rallies. And God caused the enemy to turn on each other and kill each other. While they were out here dancing and having church, the enemy was killing itself. You do the same thing in your life. It's a picture of what you can expect, of what the church ought to be like, strong and not running. Don't even need to fight. Just speak the word only. Well, that's what you call being thankful before you see the results. Because while they were dancing, and even actually the day before, they, when they heard the prophecy, they began to shout. Yeah, God has just spoken to No, that was just this fellow. Come here. It was just this guy right here. I found him. This guy right here did the talking. But they believed it was the word of God. And on the basis of their faith, they began to rejoice as though the battle was already won. That's why you get out of bed. You believe you're well. That's why you go out there shouting before the enemy without a sword, not even a shield, because you believe God's going to do what he said. God promised to do all this. You went out there and shouted, and he did it. Of course, he'll bless your army. Asa's prayer was, Lord, we don't have a lot of men, but you help us fight. And he did. They lost some men. Some men died, but they won. They didn't lose anybody. But when he prayed, they began to worship. And that's the response that faith is. That's what faith does. Look at verse 6 again. Be careful for nothing but in everything but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Well, I like what I do. Some days a whole lot more than other ones. I like it. I like this message. That's why I talk so long. People have said, I've heard them, you've heard them. Why has he preached so long? Because he likes it. If nobody came, I think he'd come by himself and preach for himself. This word here, this Bible, is unique. And it's only to us. 
God's people that he opens it up to. Well, is your faith dead or is your faith alive? Father, in the name of Jesus, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from doubt and unbelief. Deliver us, O oh God, from everything that tarnishes who we are and who you are. We are your representatives. We're ambassadors on this earth to proclaim the majesty of Jesus Christ. Help us to do that, Lord. To live by faith. To walk by faith. To bring pleasure to you. For we were created, O oh God, for your pleasure. May you be blessed by us and through us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may stand to your feet. Praise God. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Oh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all of my ways I'll acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths, and he shall direct thy I'll trust in you, Lord. I'll trust in you, Lord, with all of my heart. I'll lean not unto my own understanding. How great is our God, how great is our God, how great is his name, he's the greatest one, he's the greatest one, forever the same, forever the same, and he rolled back the waters of the mighty Red Sea, and he said, I believe you, but you trust in me. Hallelujah.